Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. New York's number one, sports radio, 101.9 FM, the fan, all right, 219, Sweeney Murdy back on the fan. We've got Yankee baseball coming up at 3.30, the Yankees and Tigers. It's Davey Garcia against Spencer Turnbull. Told you about some of the lineup things. Uh, Aaron Boone spoke with reporters uh, just a short while ago. Planned day off for Giancarlo Stanton, Gio Urshela as well. So that's why you have D.J. LeMahieu at third, Aaron Judge DHing. Yankees play at 4 o'clock. 4.10 is first pitch. Tomorrow is a 1.10 first pitch, and they return home Monday for Memorial Day. Told you about Lou Gehrig Day coming up on Wednesday at Yankee Stadium and around all of Major League Baseball. And I want to devote some time today before the game talking about it. And you'll hear from Chuck Haberstroh, the uh, uh, co-chair of the committee that lobbied MLB successfully to get Lou Gehrig Day uh, together. And the first one will be on Wednesday. We'll also hear from Nancy Freitas, the mother of Pete Freitas, who uh, waged a battle with ALS and uh, raised a lot of awareness uh, during that battle uh, around uh, the ALS community. And we'll talk to her coming up shortly as well. But I want to start today with Jonathan Eig in 2005. Uh, His book was published, Luckiest Man, The Life and Death of Lou Gehrig. And he's been a go-to voice on the topic of Lou Gehrig ever since. And uh, Jonathan, you've got something coming up in conjunction with Lou Gehrig Day with the Hall of Fame uh, this Wednesday as well, right? And uh, tell us a little bit about that and how fans can, uh, can see that. Yeah, thanks, Sweeney. Yeah, I'm going to be talking uh, live uh, with folks from the Hall of Fame, a little uh, Q&A about Gehrig, his life, his career, and his legacy. So um, I'm excited for that. I'm also doing some work with some different ALS groups, and there'll be a bunch of different video content available on uh, on Wednesday. And we're just trying to keep Gehrig's name alive, keep his legend alive, and help raise money for ALS so we can uh, fight this disease. If we go to baseballhall.org, you will see where to register to hear Jonathan on Lou Gehrig Day. Uh, Jonathan, the um, this seems – listen, you've written books about Jackie Robinson, about Muhammad Ali, uh, Al Capone. You're working on one on Martin Luther King Jr., right? Um, this one still seems to have had – correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a per, this seems a personal attachment to you and Lou Gehrig that has kept this going in the 15 years since you uh, first wrote this book. Yeah, you know, Gary didn't have any family, any kids, or even any nieces or nephews. And um, I feel like I'm family with this guy now. I love him. And A, it was my first book. And B, I'm a lifelong Yankee fan, grew up in New York, and um, come from nothing but New Yorkers. Um, and and Gary has always been really special to me. And he was such a sweet, quiet guy that, you know, never bragged about himself. 
So I'm honored to be able to do a little bragging for him now that he's gone. His uh, his speech is kind of what resonates and makes um, you know makes him such a part of American history, not just baseball history. July fourth, nineteen thirty nine, and in contrast to say the Gettysburg Address, which people it needed time to marinate for people to think it was a great speech. This one was people saw the greatness in this right away, didn't they? Yeah, not only that, it changed our image of Gehrig overnight because everybody uh, the, the reporters who covered the Yankees back then always thought Gehrig was boring. He didn't talk much. He just wanted to play the game. He was shy and didn't seek publicity. And they called him, you know, colorless, um, drab. And then he gives this speech, and they suddenly realize that they that they were wrong about him. That he was this really sensitive, thoughtful, uh, kind man. And and he, the courage he showed in that moment when he found out that he had this fatal disease to stand up there in front of sixty-one thousand people in between games of a doubleheader at Yankee Stadium. And to and to thank everybody who made his life so wonderful and to call himself the luckiest man, it changed his image immediately. That was July 4th, 1939. Gehrig passed away less than two years later, June 2nd, 1941, which is why now, 80 years later, June 2nd is what is going to be celebrated as Lou Gehrig Day around Major League Baseball. Jonathan, what happened in the 23 months in between? How did Lou Gehrig go from, you know, taking himself out of the lineup just a few weeks earlier to giving that speech, and then in the intervening 23 months, what happened? That was really the the part I was most interested in when I began researching this book, because Gary uh, kind of disappeared. And, you know, if you watch the movie with Gary Cooper, Pride of the Yankees, it it ends after the speech, but what happens to him after that? Um, That, to me, seemed like it was probably the best part of the story, because that's when he really... Um, you know, discovered who he was and, and had to face the toughest challenge of his life. And I was lucky in my research. I found 200 pages of letters that Gehrig wrote as he was dying to his doctor, um, some letters to his wife as well. And what these letters showed was that Gehrig was, was braver off the field um, than we ever really dreamed. And, you know, he, he called himself the luckiest man. And then for the next two years, when no one's looking, um, he, he really proved it. He, he really just embraced the life and the time he had left. And he looked for a cure for ALS. He tried to help other people with the disease. He sub- subjected himself to all kinds of scientific research, and he never, ever lost hope, never really. Like it, like Pete Freitas and all these other people who are ALS today, never quit fighting. What did, what did he know? What did people know about ALS in 1939? Not much, and a lot of people confused it and thought it was like polio, that he was going to survive this thing. Um, and then there were other mistakes, too. The newspapers, uh, the Daily News actually um, said that Gehrig was spreading this disease to, to the Yankees, and that's why they were slumping. Mm-hmm. And, and Gehrig actually sued the paper for libel. So um, the disease was not very well known, and that's one of the reasons it's great to see MLB embracing it and honoring Gehrig every year, because we need to make sure that, that we keep this um, in the spotlight until there's a cure, until we can uh, stop calling it Lou Gehrig's disease. One of the things that uh, that I think adds to the mystique around the disease and Lou Gehrig is is who it hit. This was the this was a picture of strength. I mean, he was the iron horse, and to see what it did to him in particular, it didn't just happen to any other guy. It happened to him, and that seemed to be a big part of the story there as well. No question about it. This is back in the days when guys didn't work out, they didn't lift weights in the offseason. Gehrig was a was a monster. 
he was huge and he did work out and he played in 2,130 consecutive games um, before there was air travel, when there were double headers every week, um, when there were no night games. I mean, he was incredibly strong. And um, for a disease like this, it melts your muscles away. Um, It's it's terribly ironic that it struck Gehrig. But one of the nice things about it now is that when people say they have Gehrig's disease, we have this picture of a man of strength. Um, it's not a disease of weakness. It's it's a disease of strength because of Lou Gehrig's reputation. We're talking to Jonathan Eig, the author of Luckiest Man, The Life and Death of Lou Gehrig. Jonathan will be taking part in a, in a talk with the Baseball Hall of Fame. It's a virtual event, still um, still in what we're dealing with here. It is a virtual event. You can go to baseballhall.org and uh, register to see that. It is on Wednesday, which is celebrated around baseball, starting this year as Lou Gehrig Day on June 2nd. You mentioned the doubleheaders, and I, I, I found this a couple of years ago, and it really... It stands out to me as just this phenomenal stat for a lot of different reasons, and especially because of what we know with the time period with Lou Gehrig. In August of 1938, through I don't know what kind of scheduling quirks happened, but the Yankees played 10 doubleheaders in 16 days, including six (laughs) in a row. Uh, So six doubleheaders in a row, 10 doubleheaders in just over two weeks. They played 36 games in one calendar month. Gehrig, of course, played every inning, of every game, he hit 329 for the month with nine homers and 38 RBIs in 36 games. And the other, the amazing part to me, Jonathan, is not just that all that happened, but this is August of 1938, which means he is most likely already starting to feel the effects of ALS on his body, and he's able to do this. Yeah, and not most likely. There's no doubt. It's 100% clear that he has symptoms of ALS at that point, and really all through the 1938 season. And I think you can make a case that this is the greatest individual accomplishment in the history of sports. To play a full season with symptoms of ALS, never skip a game, hit 295, drive in 114 runs, have a 930 OPS, and <laughs> and play all of that with ALS? I mean... That's that's superhuman, and I think we should remember that as uh, uh, not only one of baseball's greatest achievements, but a reminder of you know what you can do um, when when you think that, that 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 the chips are down. It's not a couple of weeks on the injured list with a pulled muscle, is it? That was uh, this was this was uh, it, it, superhuman is a great way to describe it. It, it was it's and just that one little time period there when when you know how close he is to the end, it just really. Um, it's it's just amazing to think about that whole thing. Now, when you look about when you look at um, when Lou Gehrig gets this um, announcement pronouncement, I should say, uh, of what's happening to him in the course of thirty eight and thirty nine. Did from your understanding and from the letters and all the other research you did, did it take a little while for him to understand what this was, or he know right away? Okay, this because I, I, the people in the stands that day on July fourth didn't know. Did he know right away that this was the death sentence? Yeah, he did. Uh, when he went to the Mayo Clinic and was diagnosed in the spring of thirty nine, they told him that nobody uh, beat ALS, that nobody had ever survived it. Um, but like a lot of people today, uh, not just with ALS, but with any um, you know difficult diagnosis, you find a way to believe that you're going to beat it. You find a way to hope, and, and that carries you through. It's not false hope. It's just a way of, of, of getting through this thing. And, of course, you're searching. You're hoping that the science is going to come around and it's going to find a cure in time for you. Um, but then after a while, Gehrig in these letters reveals you know, very clearly that he, that he knows it's not going to work for him, that 
that the, the treatments are failing and that you know his time is running out. And that's when he shows even more courage because he says, I, I'm going to keep fighting this thing. It's, it may not be for me, but we're going to find a cure for someone else for the next generation so that no one else has to go through this. You mentioned like the most interesting part is you know really what happened after July 4th. When he finally passed on June 2nd, 1941, what was the reaction? How swiftly did it did it uh, move? And uh, was it you know was it this big thud around the game of baseball because of the personality he was? Yeah, the the, the whole nation really went into mourning because this was a man who really you know in some ways you saw the nation through the Great Depression. You know, Gehrig was at the ballpark every day. He was the lunch bucket guy who just showed up for work and never complained, never asked for more money, signed a contract, whatever the Yankees sent him and thought was fair. And when he passed, um, the nation really went into mourning. Babe Ruth, um, who had his quarrels with Lou through the years, you know, was the first one to get to Gehrig's house when he heard that, that Gehrig had passed. And, um, you know, New Yorkers lined up to view his body, um, in in um, in the ceremony, and and um, really it was just you know it was a na- I think it was felt nationally this loss. I I think I read this part last night. Gary, um, Ruth showed up at you know like one in the morning, right? Like late at night, right after almost immediately after Gary had passed. Yeah, he was like a big brother to Lou, and um, you know they they quarreled um, some at the end, and they stopped speaking for a while, but. Gehrig uh, and Lou loved each other and, and never never really stopped loving each other. The book is called Luckiest Man, Life and Death of Lou Gehrig. It is available places. It was published in 2005. Jonathan, since you became so attached to this story and now you see what's happening with Major League Baseball and their pursuits their, uh, to raise awareness for ALS and celebrate Lou Gehrig Day, what does that mean to you? Well, it means that Gehrig still lives and he still has the power to inspire us and that his story still matters, um, not just to baseball fans, but to anybody who has to deal with a tragedy. And let's be honest, we all have to deal with tragedy at some point in our lives. We all lose people we love. And Gehrig showed us a way to do that, to focus on, um, on, on appreciating what you get, not what you lose. Jonathan, I want to thank you for spending a couple of minutes with me here. Good luck. Uh, people can go to baseballhall.org, and you can register for his talk on Wednesday on Lou Gehrig Day uh, through the Hall of Fame uh, that is um, that is taking part in this. And uh, I know that, um, listen, uh, I don't know how many years we're going to be doing this and trying to talk about finding a cure, but uh, Lou Gehrig Day is going to be something that I think we will uh, find a way to celebrate in New York and appreciate, maybe is a better way to say it, in New York uh, every year. And uh, I hope to talk to you about it again. Thank you for giving me a few minutes. Thanks, Sweeney. That's Jonathan Eig, and uh, he wrote the definitive book on Lou Gehrig, His Life and Death. Um, coming up next, we are going to speak to Chuck Haberstroh, and Chuck is the co-chair of the committee that lobbied Major League Baseball for this. And it's kind of an interesting story and in the uh, of how this happened and how quickly they were able to get it done is pretty remarkable. We'll speak to Chuck in a little bit. And coming up, Nancy Freitas, the mother of late Pete Freitas. Uh, we will talk to her coming up as well. Lou Gehrig Day is being celebrated throughout Major League Baseball this Wednesday, June 2nd, and it will be held every June 2nd from here on out. Wednesday at Yankee Stadium, which is the third game of the series between the Yankees and the Rays, it will be Lou Gehrig Day, not just at Yankee Stadium, but throughout Major League Baseball. It is marked for June 2nd, which is 
the day that Lou Gehrig passed away 80 years ago in 1941 from ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. 80 years later, there's still no cure. Uh, Major League Baseball will have a number of different things involved in the ceremonies at different stadiums, including the uh, the logos for ALS, which you will see, uh, special patches worn by the players, and additional things that uh, each team will uh, roll out over the next couple of days to tell us. Uh, plus, a big part of it is also helping raise awareness and money for organizations that are trying to find cure for ALS and help in patient care for those suffering from ALS. And the guy who, one of the guys who helped get this thing going and brought it to Major League Baseball is Chuck Haberstroh, co-chair of the committee that brought Lou Gehrig Day to MLB, and MLB finally made it happen this year. Chuck, how you doing? Nice to talk to you again. Thanks for giving us a couple of minutes today. Yeah, of course, Sweeney. Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, I'm excited to be on WFAN. Grew up in Westport, Connecticut. Uh, you know, moved here in 1990. Now I live here with my kids and been listening to you guys. And I had a little chuckle when when I saw uh, Erica Herskowitz was going to be doing the 2020 updates. Um, there you go. That was really cool. So very cool. Thank you for having me. Of course. And uh, listen, I got to imagine that as big a thrill as this might be, um, it's got to be about a million times more uh, that you're thrilled to see what's actually happening on June 2nd, because you had a part in making this happen. Um, ALS close to you and your family. Your mother was diagnosed in 2017. Your co-chair, Adam Wilson, uh, diagnosed in 2015. It's been a few years for you dealing with this. What are your feelings now that you see where this work has gone and Wednesday is going to be the first Lou Gehrig day? Yeah. Um, I, my first thought is, wow, I can't believe that this group of uh, ALS champions and advocates and people fighting the disease were able to make this thing happen. Um, it's been uh, basically two years since it, since it kind of entered our brains to think about doing something like this. Uh, and to think that Wednesday night I'm going to be at Yankee Stadium watching, you know, some really cool festivities uh, put on by the Yankees for Lou Gehrig Day, it's just, it's beyond uh, what we could have ever expected this to be because uh, Major League Baseball has just been incredible throughout this whole process. And I think people are going to be surprised at, at some of the really uh, amazing things that are going on in all the ballparks across baseball. Chuck, what was your goal here? You know, Lou Gehrig is obviously a very well-known figure throughout Major League Baseball and his history uh, and his story. People are aware that he died of ALS. Um, and in recent years, through various things, you know, there's a light shining on ALS. But why was it important for you to have this specific thing happen throughout Major League Baseball? Yeah, well, when, when my mom was diagnosed in 17, she, you know, she's, uh, she said she had a great, a great run, basically. and uh, much like his speech uh, said she was very lucky um, and therefore wanted her, her children, so there are four of us, uh, myself, Steve, Tom, and Kim, to basically go out and find ways to raise awareness for ALS. And through that, uh, those early days of, of her diagnosis, we, uh, we met up with a bunch of different advocates. Um, we started something called the Pepper Challenge back in 18, which, which went viral and it really connected us with some of the more vocal and powerful, strong, uh, you know, advocates in the ALS space. And one of them was Brian Wayne Gallantine. Another one was Adam Wilson. Um, and we decided, well, Brian Wayne, he, we call him B. Wayne. Mm-hmm. Um, he sent us a text basically saying, hey, can we, why is there no Lou Gehrig Day across baseball? It, would, it makes sense. And 
why don't we try to do that? And obviously, you know, B. Wayne was battling ALS at the time. And um, I've found that, you know, if you tell somebody with ALS they can't do something, uh, watch out. Uh, <laughs> so I went along with it. I said, of course, let's go. Let's do it. Um, and the whole idea behind the day was to raise awareness. We were not we were not concentrating on, you know, fundraising or or anything else. Um, we were really, you know, part of this whole thing with ALS is people just don't understand how devastating it is and and what it can do to families uh, while their loved ones are here. Um, it can bankrupt people, really. Uh, it's, it's devastating to the person who has it, but also difficult for the entire family. And we wanted to make sure that um, that that part of this was was addressed as well. Um, and so we. We basically said, you know, let's let's see if we can get this thing going. Um, and we did our research and and basically put 30 different teams. Uh, we've been targeting them and and got them on board. Uh, but it, the whole idea behind the day is to raise awareness. We we think that if you raise awareness, that'll lead to funding, which will lead to research, which will lead to cures and treatments for this disease. Yeah, and it's uh, for people who who maybe not maybe aren't aware what this disease does. If you don't know anybody that's been afflicted by it, uh, it's uh, it's neuromuscular, right? And the brain just stops allowing the muscles to work. Um, you become paralyzed. Um, you know, eventually move to uh, a wheelchair, the, the muscles at different rates, I guess, depending on how aggressive it is. And uh, for different people, uh, they stop working in, in different time frames. Then you lose speech and eventually just breathing. And there's no reversal here. There's no cure. Um, 80 years since Lou Gehrig passed, it's still pretty much the same thing with only some treatments that, you know, maybe help the comfort level or, uh, gain a little bit more lifespan, but nothing that's going to stop or reverse it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, to give you my specific example with my mother, um, she now, she's no longer able to speak. She's no longer able to breathe on her own. She has a, a tube in her neck that, that um, breathes for her. Um, she's unable to move her limbs, but her brain is there. And, and she com- communicates with her family and friends via eye gaze technology. Um, which is typing with your eyes by looking at different um, the different letters and numbers on a screen. It's remarkable technology, but it's really, I won't say in its infancy, but it's very early on um, in where that technology can be. And I think people are going to be amazed at some of the some of the uh, some of the spots, some of the uh, ads, and commercials, and and other messaging PSAs that are going to be coming out on Wednesday to see where this technology can go. Um, you know, we have a, a friend, Steve Gleason, who mm-hmm. uh, played for the Saints, who's battling ALS, and he likes to think of himself as kind of like a cyborg. You know, <laughs> he, he, he is, uh, he's able to communicate and live his life um, with the help of technology. And, and his, his famous uh, quote is, um, I'm not an ordinary human, and as long as there are no effective cures or treatments for this disease, then technology is the cure. So. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another part of this this whole thing. And my mom, uh, hopefully, if she's listening right now. She's she's battling some stuff right now, and uh, you know, wanted to to send her a message that we love her and that we're all thinking of her. Um, but uh, yeah, we're this disease is brutal and it doesn't slow down for anybody. 
And, and you mentioned something to me the last time we spoke, just the idea of awareness. You know, it might be lost on some people because if you know somebody that has it, you're very aware. And if you're a baseball fan and have any idea of what who Lou Gehrig is and what his history is, you know something about it. But you were telling me that I mean, even amongst medical professionals sometimes, this is, this is a difficult thing because there was an EMS driver that came to your house to help your mother, and he was not aware of what ALS was. Um, and, and that kind of hindered his ability to help your mother in that situation. Absolutely. Um, and this is, you know, uh, we're also dealing with COVID at the same time. So right. uh, when people uh, would need their caregivers nearby, like my father, who's, I, you know, no offense to anybody else, but my favorite caregiver in the world. Uh, and I think he does an amazing job. But there are times when, you know, the awareness level, if it raises, that, that wouldn't even be a question. When you say, oh, she, what, what is she, you know, why are we transporting her to the hospital? Well, she has ALS and is having an issue. Okay, then there should be a, a standard protocol for that um, in the EMS, and, and they should have been trained to understand that, you know, if you really want and want to help this person, you're going to need the help of their caregiver because it's not, um, it's not just, you know, you, oh, what's wrong with you? You know, <laughs> they yeah. can't answer. They mm-hmm. literally can't. So. That's just one step. That that happened a few months ago, and and um, and yeah, we there are things going on uh, with the in the ALS community where we are trying to set up you know nursing programs across the country to to effectively address things like that where people get trained to understand you know how to treat uh, uh, someone with ALS. But yeah, it's, it's as basic as that. I mean, you can't imagine, right? I mean, yeah, you get picked up by the ambulance. What's wrong, ALS? Yeah, what's that? You know, and you say, oh no, this is going to be a long day. Chuck Haberstroh is the co-chair of the committee that brought Lou Gehrig Day to Major League Baseball. And you got you and Adam Wilson got this done. I mean, while it was a little bit of work to get this going, once you sent the email to a couple of team presidents, you were seeing results within hours, weren't you? Yeah, it was a crazy ride. That those couple of days we had uh we had eight teams signed on, and then the ninth, we basically guessed the email addresses of team presidents. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and alphabetically, the first one was Arizona. So we tried that. Um, Adam being the, uh, the, as I call him, the man behind the curtain, he's, he's an incredible uh, person with ALS who cannot, no, he can no longer speak and only has the use of one hand. And yet he's able to, to do way more than um, – than I am. I'm just a, you know, a, a blowhard basically talking. <laughs> um, he, he is, uh, he's incredible. And he basically emailed uh, Derek Hall with the Diamondbacks by guessing his email address. And Derek Hall responded in 10 minutes saying, Hey, um, I lost my grandfather to ALS and a friend of mine has it, whatever you need, I'm in. Wow. And we, we were like taken aback. And when we put him with Sam Kennedy of the Red Sox and Dave St. Peter of the twins to send out an email to all the other presidents, Within 30 hours, we had all other teams signed on, all 30 teams. Um, the first response we got was actually from Randy Levine saying, you can't have Lou Gehrig Day without, without the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one was basically like, thankfully, he replied to all on that <laughs> because everybody else <laughs> yeah. said, wow, this is uh, now, now you got to do it. Now you got to sign now off. You, now you have to do it. And then Derek Jeter followed and others. And it was just uh, it was an incredible couple days there. Um, and yeah, once once those teams came aboard, then we just had to navigate COVID, which you know everybody had to. So yeah. um, we're we're psyched, and we I, I've mentioned this to you before, but you know we work at the speed of ALS. We have a group of 27 members of our committee, and we've lost six of them in two years wow. to this to this disease. It's it's 
unbelievable, but it's always a reminder that we got to keep pushing. You know, Pat Quinn, big Yankee fan who you know, and, you know, big Pat, mm-hmm. um, he, he passed away uh, in December, uh, November, December last year. He sent me an email from the hospital the last time I talked to him, and in all caps, it just said, keep pushing. And um, we take that um, we take that to heart. You know, that's, that's what we do. And uh, we said, you know, 2021, yes, there's COVID. There's everything else. Let's, let's get it on the map. Let's make it happen. Get it on the calendar, and we'll go from there. And baseball couldn't have been better um, between, you know, the, the, the front offices at, you know, in New York to all the different teams. They've been amazing, and, uh, and we can't thank them enough. This is a step in raising awareness and eventually uh, hopefully leading to funding for more research. And at some point, maybe there will be a cure uh, or more trials, uh, potential trials for for drugs that could help uh, patients and uh, you know, patient care. So uh, it's going to be an important step. It's going to be a big day. Um, it's it's you know, there's kind of mixed emotions, right, because it's, it's it should be labeled as a celebration of Lou Gehrig Day. But we also know what we're what we're recognizing here and. Um, you know that's uh, that takes you back a little bit too, but I, I think it's going to be a source of pride for you and everybody who is associated with this to know what's happening on Wednesday uh, when it actually gets going. And I, you know, really just congratulations to you and Adam for getting this ball rolling. And I hope you're able to appreciate a little bit of what is going to take place on Wednesday. Yeah, we're going to be uh, for anybody who wants to come by and say hello. We're going to be outside. I think gate four uh, Wednesday. I'm planning on being there at like five thirty. Come over. Stay high. We have a ton of uh, ALS advocates and, and patients. Obviously, a lot of people who have lost people to ALS already are looking at this as kind of a pilgrimage to come to Yankee Stadium to pay tribute to Lou and their family members. Um, my buddy Mike Tamburino, he'll be there. Who He's been fighting ALS. Um, he'll be out there. Big Pat Quinn is going to be there. And I know Nancy Frady, who you're speaking to shortly, uh, love her. She'll be there, too. Uh, we're all excited to, uh, to celebrate Lou and hopefully um, – you know, really, really make inroads and in, in ending the, you know, the movement to end this, this terrible disease. I'll be there to come say hi. And, uh, you know, you, gate four, you picked a very, you picked a very appropriate one. Um, and it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a special you, you night. Caught on to, you caught on to that. Huh? <laughs> it only took me a minute. I'm a little slow. Uh, Chuck <laughs> Aberstrow, he and Adam Wilson co-chaired the committee that brought Lou Gehrig Day to baseball. And it is coming Wednesday, June 2nd, first annual Lou Gehrig Day being celebrated. Uh, and uh, the Yankees are home that day against Tampa Bay. And uh, there will be special ceremonies to commemorate. Chuck, thanks for all your hard work. Uh, I hope you... Um, well, I'll see you on Wednesday, and uh, and thanks for putting all this together. Congratulations on all your hard work paying off uh, on what's happening Wednesday. No, thank you. And uh, uh, if you guys want to check out our story, it's on uh, LG the number four day dot com, uh, LG four day dot com, and uh, we have a bunch of uh, a media section with some really touching stories that that I think people will appreciate. So and I thank you. That- I can't wait to see you guys. Yeah, and I think MLB has produced some shirts that they're being sold for the occasion with proceeds going towards uh, the different uh, ALS charities and uh, research, things like that. So uh, make sure you check that out, lg4day.com. Chuck, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you, Sweeney. All right. Chuck Haberstroh, co-chair for the Lou Gehrig Day Committee, and uh, Nancy Freitas lost her son to Lou Gehrig's disease. Pete Freitas. former Boston College baseball player. He put a a name and a face to this a few years ago, and um, 
We'll talk to his mom, Nancy, coming up shortly. Lou Gehrig Day coming to Yankee Stadium and throughout Major League Baseball Wednesday, June 2nd. Sports Radio 1019 FM, the band, WFAN. And thank you again, Erica. Sweeney Murdy here on The Fan. It's 3.03, coming up in just under half an hour. Yankees-Tigers pregame. John Sterling, Susan Waldman getting ready for that. Davey Garcia against Spencer Turnbull. Middle game of a three-game series in Detroit. Yankees lost in 10 innings last night. They return home Monday for Memorial Day matinee, 1 o'clock against Tampa Bay. Wednesday, third game of that series is June 2nd. You heard Erica mention it. We've been talking about it for the last hour. It is Lou Gehrig Day throughout Major League Baseball. There have been times on certain anniversaries, like the 70th, 75th anniversaries, where Yankee Stadium, there have been some ceremonies to commemorate what was Lou Gehrig's, uh, the, the anniversary of Lou Gehrig's speech. Well, June 2nd is the anniversary of Lou Gehrig's death, 80 years uh, since it happened. And still no cure for ALS. It is a big part of baseball's outreach on June 2nd to spotlight awareness, help raise uh, awareness and funds for ALS research. And um, we've been talking to people who have been touched by it. And unfortunately, Nancy Frady's touched by it in you know the way you'd expect. Her son, Pete Frady's, passed away uh, about a year and a half ago age 35, after a battle with ALS. And Nancy is kind enough to join us here today. Nancy, what's it going to be like for you to see Major League Baseball celebrate a Lou Gehrig Day for the first time on Wednesday? It's going to probably be an out-of-body experience. It is a dream come true. Um, The night Pete was diagnosed at age 27 in 2012, one of the directives he gave our family was that he wanted MLB to, um, you know, engage heartily with one of their greatest icons, Lou Gehrig, and the disease that took him. So it has been, um, you know, it's not that long. It's only been um, nine years um, when you get something um, to happen quite to the extent that it's going to happen on June 2nd. It's going to be a great day. Yeah, and I read part of your story The uh, when Pete was diagnosed in 2012, uh, he asked the doctor, what's it going to take to cure this? Because, you know, there's no cure. And the doctor right. answered $1 billion. Um, it's funding and research is, is a big part of what you and your family have, have tried to get across, isn't it? It sure is. Um, you know, we started with awareness in 2012. Pete knew that he was an outlier. He was 27 years old, a former Division One baseball player, in probably the prime of, of his um, physical life at that point. Um, he had gone to Europe to play baseball professionally, came home and got a job. And when he thought, you know, when he found out this was the disease that he had, of course, Lou Gehrig just popped right into his mind. Of course, he's a baseball player. He's a, he's a baseball mind. He loved the history of baseball. One was one of the things that attracted him so much to it. And the word he used that night, Swinney, was unacceptable. He said it's unacceptable that it had been so almost 70 years since Lou Gehrig had spoken those words at Yankee Stadium and that there had been barely any progress in the fight against the disease. So that's when it all started, and, and that's when we started with the awareness because what we knew was that most people didn't really know what Lou Gehrig had. If you really asked them what was Lou Gehrig's disease, they didn't understand that even in 2012, 
no treatment, no cure, and a three- to five-year prognosis. And the reality of the disease, the reality is the day of diagnosis is the best day of the rest of the life of the ALS patient because every day some muscle is going to stop working because the motor neuron dies. So they lose their ability to walk, to use their hands, to talk, and eventually to eat and breathe. And it's still the same prognosis today, but, boy, we've come a long way in the nine years since 2012. Yeah, and listen, uh, Pete and his inspiration was part of the Ice Bucket Challenge along with Pat Quinn, who's in this right. New York area. And uh, Big Pat, Patrick Quinn, was, was going to join us here, but he had a scheduling conflict. So uh, he wasn't able to join us today. But I know how much he's looking forward to Wednesday as well. Um, but what has happened in the nine years since? What progress have you seen that's, that's leading in, the, in a certain direction and that baseball is kind of trying to help now as they push the awareness forward starting Wednesday? I guess the simplest way that I've um, articulated it was that in 2012, we didn't even know where the tunnel to a cure was. And today, we're not only in the tunnel, but we can see the light at the end of it. As you said, Pete asked the doctor how much. She said a billion dollars. Well, Pete and Pat's efforts in 2014 with the Ice Bucket Challenge raised a quarter of that, a quarter of a billion dollars. And most importantly is that they put it top of mind of people. And, and, and I believe it ignited conversations that, unfortunately, our patients die so quickly that I think people, it's a, it's a horrific journey. And when the patient passes, a lot of people are, are just exhausted and heartbroken and saddened and move on with their lives. And I believe the Ice Bucket Challenge stimulated a lot of conversations and people realized that it was really not that many degrees away from them that they were affected by this disease. You know, there's 30,000 people at a time that are, um, that are suffering, are, are living patients with ALS in the U.S. at one time. But the stat that's staggering is that every 90 minutes, in the United States, someone is diagnosed with ALS, but every 90 minutes, someone dies from ALS. So our numbers, as far as patients all living at one time, haven't been able to grow because we haven't had a treatment to slow the progression down. And that's where we're headed right now. We have over 80 drugs and therapies in the clinical trial process. There are many that are showing promise. And we hope that the first step, and you can ask any ALS family will be, just stop it. Slow it down or stop it. And then we'll start on the reversal. And I believe that slowing down is coming. You can speak to this, and listen. I have experience with this too, with with you know someone I know. But you know, this is this is not just about the person who gets diagnosed. This takes an incredible toll on the families, doesn't it? It's a community. It takes a toll on the community, and I do believe that the ice bucket challenge was it. It, it, it symbolized so many different things, but the thing that it that it symbolized was was the words ALS were being spoken. And I, we received thousands and thousands of emails and letters during the Ice Bucket Challenge. And one of my favorite 
was a young woman who wrote to me that her father had passed away 15 years ago. And when he was, when he was dying, he, she said she, he remembers, she remembers him articulating that nobody knew why he was dying. Nobody mm. understood his disease. And she said she w- used to wake up every morning hoping that that would change. And she said this morning it changed. She goes, I woke up and ALS was everywhere. And I know my father is dancing. And I think that encapsulates where we are right now. People are talking about it. And Wednesday is it's going to be, you know, I, I'm, I'm anticipating it to be a lot like when the Ice Bucket Challenge was happening, that you're going to hear on the radio, on the television, you're going to see stories in the newspapers that have already started um, about ALS, about the journey of not only the patient, and as you say, with the family and, and the community around them. So... Look, it's it's not it's a it's a horrific horrific journey, but most families will tell you the blessings of the support of, of community and the people that take notice of this disease and use that same word unacceptable. That's what's going to get us there. Nancy Frady's lost her son Pete to ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Major League Baseball is celebrating Lou Gehrig Day on Wednesday, June 2nd. That is the 80th anniversary of the passing of Lou Gehrig from ALS. Nancy, you speak with such grace and and such determination. How how did you find your voice here when it you know, it, it took such a toll on you and your family for seven years. It's only been a year and a half since you lost your son. How have you mm-hmm. found this grace and strength to keep pushing this message forward to people? Because I'm just following Pete's words and Pete's hopes and dreams. Pete's not here to see his six-year-old daughter go to first grade in September. But Pete was determined And when I say determined, he looked at me the night he was diagnosed, and he said, Mom, we're going to get to work. And and he knew I was that mom. I was the PTO mom. I was the (laughs) baseball captain's mom. I was, you know, I was the carpool mom. Um, He he knew that if I put my mind to something, and and our whole family, if if we gathered the energy that we had, that we could really, you know, get the ball moving on this. But he pulled me aside, Sweeney, that night, and he looked right at me, and he said, Mom, I need to tell you something. He said, all the work that we're about to do, it's not going to be in time for me, he said, but it's going to be so that no other family ever has to go on this journey. And that, those are the words. Every morning I make a choice. It's a, it's a choice. Look at the easy way it would be for me to pull the covers over my head and feel really bad for myself. Yeah. But I make a choice every morning to put my feet on the ground and be positive and be productive because that's what my son would want. The Frady's name is is near the top of the list here. When you think about the just the idea of uh, of putting names and faces to ALS uh, mm-hmm. in these last few years, so I would imagine that there are a lot of people who are hearing the diagnoses and the words for the first time. They eventually find their way to you. What do you tell mm-hmm. these families? So um, I think the first thing that I tell them, and especially families that are that are facing um, the diagnosis now, is don't don't go there. 
And I, when I say that, I mean that when you hear the words that it's 100% fatal, you don't hear anything else. I remember literally dropping to the floor and, and just being devastated that I was going to lose my son. And what I try to talk to families about when I talk with them as they're being diagnosed is you don't have a minute to spare. But you know what? Neither does anybody else because nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Nobody knows what's going to happen in the next five minutes. So be present. Be present in your life. That was the largest gift that my son gave to us during this journey, was to enjoy every single moment of life. Don't go to the end game. And especially now, because there's so much hope. As I said, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. So stay in hope. But do your diligence. And get out there and find where, and I, and I try to be the resource of the resources. This is where you can go for care. This is where you can go for education. This is where you need to go for, to go to an ALS clinic. Um, over the years, I have amassed a, a huge network within the community. So if I can be in a, cause that's what we were looking for, Sweeney, when we were diagnosed. Yeah. We didn't, know where to go and 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 who to talk to and we had no idea what was about to happen to us so today it's stay in hope but enjoy every single minute and the gift of mindfulness and being present is the one that you have to open up your arms and hug we're talking to Nancy Freitas. She lost her son, Pete Freitas, to uh, ALS in 2019. Nancy, what is inked for ALS, and is that still an ongoing thing? Well, Inked for ALS was started by a company right up here in Boston, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, two young men. Um, it's, a, it's a fascinating story. They've been in the media a lot. They were seniors at Brown University when they were looking at uh, neurodegenerative diseases. And they came up with a formula for a drug, and in the, uh, I believe they've been out of college, I'm going to say seven or eight years, I might be wrong on the years, but they uh, developed this company, Amalex, with their compound, which is um, about to go, is in clinical trials, and actually ALS Canada has fast-tracked it, so it's going to be coming to patients, and as I said, it holds promise for slowing down this disease, so inked um, for ALS. Um, I might say that, it, and if I if I can have, um, if I can say this, it, it kind of everybody's tried to recreate the ice bucket challenge. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I can say that from experience because I fielded a lot of phone calls about how we did it. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, Ink for ALS is their way of getting out, you know, um, coming into May, which is ALS Awareness Month, um, as they proceed to bring their drug to patients, which we hope happens rather quickly here in the U.S. also. Well, listen, the Red Sox are not home on Wednesday, but uh, if I heard Chuck say correctly, you're going to be at Yankee Stadium on Wednesday. Is that correct? We are. We are. Now, I don't know if you know this, but my son was signed uh, as a player uh, with the Red Sox. So yes. we actually uh, players' parents. 
and we are very, very close with our Red Sox, and we are definitely coming to Yankee Stadium because, you know what, there's only one team on Wednesday, and this is the ALS team, and it doesn't matter who your team on the field is because everybody across team lines have been um, touched by this disease, and if you haven't been personally touched by this disease, you will be personally touched by the stories that you're going to hear on Wednesday, and hopefully uh, we're having our ALS at Fenway Park on June 8th. Um, the, the story, if you, if you don't know the story of Pete Brady's and Pat Quinn and their bond and their relationship, it's, it's one um, that will not only warm your heart, but will also give you an insight into um, the young people now, how they, they look at things and they really make things happen and how a brotherhood started through a, a tragic event for two families and then what these two boys did. Um, so, so I would say uh, open your ears, open your eyes, but most importantly, open your hearts. And if we move you, open your wallet. Help us get across the line. All the money that is going to be raised for Major League Baseball is going to be going to the Healy Center for ALS at Mass General. And believe it or not, the Healy Center is named after Sean Healy, who is from our hometown of mm. Beverly, Massachusetts. And unfortunately, we lost Sean last year. And uh, Sean granted a, a large amount of money to open up this center, where now we are doing um, platform trials, which have been used for years and years in other disease spaces. But we've never had the money or the volume of drugs to be to come into a platform trial where they use one placebo group against um, a number of different studies and this is where the money is going to go because mm -hmm. those 80 plus therapies and drugs that i was talking about we need to get them yeah. because the asset in ALS is time it's right. time we need it as fast as possible Nancy, I, I love your strength and your passion. I can't wait to come see you on Wednesday at Yankee Stadium. And, uh, you know, hopefully one day we'll have to, we can stop talking about it in the same fashion. Um, I look forward to speaking to you on Wednesday. It's going to be a great day around Major League Baseball and, a, and an emotional one for everybody, no more so than you. Thank you for giving us a couple minutes here today and, and filling us in on the story. Sweeney, thank you. See you Wednesday. All right. That's Nancy Frades. She lost her son, Pete Frades, to ALS in 2019. Lou Gehrig Day is coming to Yankee Stadium throughout Major League Baseball on Wednesday, June 2nd. More coming up in just a moment. Sweeney Murdy, Yankees, Tigers. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 